So all evening we've been thinking about what we look like and thinking about what's in our hearts. Pele said you all look lovely. If you weren't here at the beginning, you didn't get the, uh, the compliment. But the question is, what's going on inside? And later on we asked, why is hypocrisy so unattractive? And I don't know what you said uh, in the meet and greet when you were talking. We were talking about how it's a lie, but it's a kind of superior lie. It's a lie where I'm saying I'm better than you. There's something that makes us really angry about hypocrisy. You know, do a strict lockdown if you have to, but don't go and have big parties in number 10 at the same time. But there's also some sadness in that anger, isn't there? Um, I wonder how many people, as you began talking, you began thinking about times when we do the same thing. Uh, at work, uh, in our families, with our friends. Hi- hypocrisy, it just, it just works, doesn't it? I don't want my children to be on their phones late at night. That's a bad thing. But I want to finish, you know, reading whatever article it is or sending the message that's just very important before I go to bed. Um, consistency is hard and hypocrisy just sort of takes all the load off. Though we hate it when people do it to us. So open page 1010 and look down at verse 6. Verse number 6. Bit of a surprise maybe if you've been told that Jesus was always nice. Verse 6. Jesus, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. So not only are they hypocrites, but they're, they're such big hypocrites that God got a prophet to write about them 700 years earlier. So, welcome back to Mark's Gospel. As Pele said, we're going to be working our way through Mark's Gospel. If you don't have one, if you haven't read it, please come and get one and uh, read up to where we've got up to. Um, And we're working our way through the, the whole book, but it's been several months since we were last in Mark. But you can see from verse 6 that we are still trying to find the answer to why they don't love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He's truthful and powerful and loving and kind. But here is the group who hate him again. And the the first reader would be really surprised because uh, verse 1, these are the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law. These are God's people. These are the religious people. Verse 3, verse 4, these are people who are serious about keeping the rules. So why do they hate Jesus? And why is Jesus rude to them? And I've got um, three headings for us tonight. The first two are taken from what Jesus says to them. And then the third is a reflection on what he says. And the the issue on the table is all about cleanness. Uh, Verse 2, the Jesus' disciples, they eat with defiled hands. And so the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they want them to wash like they do because they are the clean people. Okay, so first of all, Jesus says that they clean the outside. I think the, the situation here is quite easy to understand. They've come down from Jerusalem to see whether Jesus is as good as everybody says that he is. And they're shocked. They're shocked to see that he allows his disciples to eat food 
without doing all of the, the ceremonial washing. And verse 3, verse 4, Mark explains for us what was normal. You wash your hands and your cups and your pitchers and your kettles. So they challenge him, verse 5. Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And notice, it is, um, it's one of those questions, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're not hoping that he's going to give them a really good explanation so they can, you know, put aside some of the ceremonial washing. That's not what they're hoping. This is an accusation. And, and it's not just an accusation that the disciples are a bit disgusting. Um, you know, after COVID, I think we are all of us a bit more on the Pharisee's side, aren't we? Um, no, here is the accusation. Their hands are defiled, which makes them defiled. And you let them. So you are a defiled kind of rabbi, Jesus. Uh, You're the Messiah of uncleanness. That's the accusation. And perhaps um, we don't really understand why they care so much. And I wonder if that is because we as a culture have lost all sense that God is an observer of our lives. And actually that God is holy and that God cares how we live. To present yourself in God's presence unclean is a terrifying and a terrible thing all the way through the Bible. So that the Pharisee, he really, really wants to be clean. And he's, he's kind of right about that. And um, with the, the team earlier in the week, we tried to think um, of where we feel the same emotion today. And someone uh, on the staff team came up with a, a story that is just a little bit specific. Uh, so I'm going to, um, it's probably best you don't know who it was who came up with the story. So imagine, imagine, not a real story as far as I know. Imagine that you are standing outside a restaurant uh, just before your first date with someone who you really like. And that you are so pleased that they've agreed to the date and you've made a lot of effort to get ready. And then, five minutes before they're due to arrive, around the corner comes a a big white van. And the, the, the driver turns the wheel and the wheel goes in the puddle and the enormous muddy puddle and everything else that is normally on the street in London, it is now all over you from head to toe. And you have five minutes before the most important first impression of your life. And what do you do? What wouldn't you do? If there is a clothes shop that's still open, you are going to buy new clothes. Does the restaurant maybe have a hotel? Will they let you have a shower? Um, If not, can you get a towel? Is there like a bucket of wet wipes that you can kind of try and do something with? They want to be clean for God's. With, with that kind of energy and fear. But Jesus, they think he just doesn't seem to care. And more than that, maybe this is what hurts them. He doesn't seem to be impressed at all by all the effort that they put into being clean. And he tells them why in verse 6 that we've already read. Because their cleanness is hypocrisy. Because all they do is clean the outside. Verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
So it is, it is only external. It's a matter of lips, not hearts. It's about the outside appearance, not the inner reality, which makes their attack on Jesus and the disciples worse, doesn't it? Accusing them of being unclean when really all they have done is wash the outside of the cup, the pitcher, the kettle, and the human life. Now, as it happens, I have a cup here. Pelle, if you would. Uh, please, not this one. This is a cup I brought from home. Yeah, bring that up. Um, and um, I would like to pretend, just stay there, Pelle, thank you. Um, I would like to pretend that I've done this deliberately for the sake of the sermon, um, but in a sermon about hypocrisy, that would actually be a lie. So um, what I have here is a cup that I found in one of our bedrooms. Um, and um, it is, it's a nice cup. I don't know if you can see that very much. It's a very pleasing color of blue, and uh, it's a very nice shape. And unless you have a particularly good view in the, uh, in the balcony, um, you can see that this is a beautiful, clean cup. Um, so what I want to do is just um, make use of Pelle, if you wouldn't mind, just um, step forward a little bit. And Pelle, I'd just like you maybe to have a drink from this cup. Um, if you, um, would you maybe just, um, it's best, just have a smell in the... No, get, no, get going, go on. Oh. So, um, it, it's actually, it's actually, you can sit down. It's very kind. Thank you. Um, it's actually got cleaner since I found it. Something, when I found it, it had like, you know, the lid of mold that rests on the top of the coffee when it's been there for weeks and weeks. So now it's just a little bit oozy and a little bit, um, yeah, okay, the front rows have seen. There you go. Um, I'm going to leave that there. Um, cleaning on the outside. It, it works as long as no one is ever going to see inside. Uh, no one's ever going to drink from the cup. Uh, no one's ever going to get to know you at a deep level at all. Hypocrisy is a powerful and an effective thing. Uh, you make the outside into what people want to see and you keep the inside exactly the way that you want it and you like it. And it works as long as you never meet anybody who can see inside. Okay, so first point, they clean the outside. Second, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus says. So um, let's take a look inside the Pharisees. Verse 7, their worship is in vain and their teachings, they are merely human. And there's a a contrast then that comes three times. In fact, it comes so often in the passage that I thought about whether this contrast should actually be the main point of the sermon. But I then decided really this is just building towards something else and something bigger. So verse 8, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Or verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. See the contrast? It's the outside and the inside. It's God's commands and it's human traditions. They are following lots of extra human rules. And there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. We would all be very pleased if you all would do that, please, before coming to church. That would be wonderful for the rest of us. But the human traditions, they operate on your outside. 
They make you look clean, look like a good person. Whereas God's commands, they go all the way inside. And hypocrisy is great. We've said hypocrisy really works because if you keep all of the human traditions on the outside, nobody even notices, even if you break God's commands, even if you you break one of the Ten Commandments. So how's this for a, a powerful, powerful trick? Do you think that you could break one of the Ten Commandments in public, in religious first century Judea, and still have everybody think that you are a super religious, generous, perfectly clean person? Well, that's the example that Jesus takes them through, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. Uh, God's commandment is in verse 10, honor your father and your mother. And you see, that is a, a good example of a command that goes all the way inside, isn't it? It doesn't just say, um, ring your mother at least once a week and you know, listen to her complaints about the neighbours without falling asleep. It, it says honour. There's a, a whole world of emotions and actions and thinking bound up in that, isn't there? And um, that's not to say that um, well, some parents are complicated, aren't they? I've had conversations with some of you about how you honour bad parents and how you, you set boundaries so that you can still love them and honor them, but still you can say no when they ask for things that you should not give. But, but that is not what's going on with these Pharisees here. So um, look at verse 11. It tells us they have a, um, a fundraising mechanism called Corban. Uh, that is an Aramaic word which Mark translates for us. It means devoted to God. And, and here's how it works. Verse 11, uh, it says that you make a, a declaration. Make a declaration about maybe a, a field or a, a piece of property. And you declare that it is now devoted to God. Uh, like a sort of medieval king giving big estates to a monastery. It's a, a super clean thing to do. Look at him. Look at her. Do you know how religious she is? She's given her house to the temple, devoted to God. Except that it it seems to have been a bit more like writing a will than actually giving the field to the temple because um, you still have your field for your lifetime. And so um, your sheep are still eating your grass that grows on your field. But, But no, 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 that is a Corban field. Devoted to God, it will belong to the temple one day when you die. And that is the tradition of the elders. But over in the corner are um, mum and dad who have fallen on hard times. And they are hungry and they are cold and they are sick. And you might, you might think that there was, you know, one of the Ten Commandments that applied to that situation. You might think that the good religious thing to do would be to sell the field and give the money to your parents so that they could be warm and healthy and fed. Um, but here come the teachers of the law to set you straight. Verse 11, but you say, Or verse 12, even stronger. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. And see how this works? You start talking about selling the field and uh, using the money to set your parents up in a care home, maybe. 
But here comes a teacher to remind you the field is not yours to sell. That is a Corban field. That is God's field. The, the traditions of the elders, they say you can keep it till you die. Wouldn't want you to miss out on all those, you know, those lamb dinners for the next 40 years. But the elders, they were very clear. What you can't do is sell it and help your mum and dad. It's perfect, isn't it? Clean on the outside. She gave her field to the temple. She's so generous. But on the inside, and in reality, guilty of failing to love those who gave up everything for you in their time of greatest need. See, that the power of hypocrisy is that it really works. It works on them, the people watching you. And it even works on yourself. These Pharisees, these teachers, they really think they're getting away with this nonsense. But Isaiah, Isaiah knew about them 700 years before. So you might like to keep a finger in Mark 7 and turn up page 714. Page 714 is Isaiah chapter 29. And I'd like us to see some things here in Isaiah that will become important as we go on our journey through Mark. That's why I'm taking us back to it tonight. See, from the the verse that Jesus quotes, you might think this was only about people wasting their time. Only about worship that is in vain. A waste of time. It's just lip service and no reality. As if all that was wrong is that they're sort of playing a part, pretending to be better than they really are. Um, You might think perhaps no harm, no foul. But hypocrisy is a mask. It's a a mask you you put on so that other people cannot see what you are really like. And it's a, a mask that is huge and powerful and heavy. And the, the trouble is, when you wear the mask, it, it is, it's hard to hear properly and hard to see properly. Look at verse 9 in Isaiah. Speaking to the hypocrites of Isaiah's Jerusalem in 700 BC, it says, Be stunned and amazed. Blind yourself and be sightless. Or verse 10, The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes, the prophet. He's covered your heads, the seers. And notice this is about the prophets and the seers, the religious experts, the the teachers of their day. They can't see and they can't hear. And by verse 11, they can't read. And verse 12, they can't think and they can't understand. Remember, you nullify the word of God by your tradition, Jesus said. And as um, as we go on in Mark between now and Christmas, or as you take this home and you read this, look out for people who cannot see and cannot hear and cannot understand. Because that is what the the mask life is like. That is what the Pharisees were like. But actually it gets worse because the mask doesn't just make it hard to see out. It also means that you think nobody can see in. Um, if you haven't turned there, let me put verse 15 on the screen. It says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? 
Do you hear the horror of that? They think that God can't see them. They think that no one can see them. They think no one will ever know what they're really doing and what they are really like, which it hardly even works on human beings, does it? That Certainly mum and dad, in Jesus' example, they know what their child is really like, but they think that God can't see. I, um, I once went camping in the, the Dordogne with a, a group of friends, and the, the guy who organized the trip, so he's, he organized it, he's a perfectly sensible grown man called Ben, and no one had ever told him that when you go camping and you talk in your tent, in your, your flimsy little house made of cloth, no one had ever told him that, that they can hear you. So he's, um, he's in his tent and he's chatting away about the rest of us and about his personal life. And he was totally shocked when we called across from our tent. Said, you know we can hear everything that you're saying, right? <laughs> Human beings build a, a kind of tent. And often it is made out of religious human traditions. And we, we get inside our tent. And because we can no longer see God, we assume that God's can no longer see us. Come back to Mark chapter 7, page 1010. Because in Mark's account, uh, all the way back since chapter 2, we keep meeting people who don't like Jesus. Um, He heals the sick and they tell him off. He tells the truth and they tell him to stop. He forgives sinners and they say that he shouldn't. And and we've been puzzled about that. And there's the parable of the sower back in chapter 4, which is the the most miserable bit of the Bible that everybody thinks is really cheerful. Because really it's about how 75% of the people will reject Jesus even if some of them look like they start off really liking him. And, and strangely, the, the clean on the outside people seem to have it the worst. They're the ones who want to kill Jesus, chapter 3. And now maybe we understand a bit better. It's because they only look clean. They're only clean on the outside. And Jesus knows that their hearts are far from me. See, the problem is, in Jesus, they have finally met someone who can see into their hearts and is not fooled by the mask, doesn't fall for the outward show. He can see them. And that the heart in the Bible, that is not just your feelings. It's not just your emotional self. It's where you make decisions in a very real sense. It is your whole self. And Jesus knows they are far from God and far from him. Well, time is nearly gone, but I did promise you a reflection. See, all of this is because, third, because human religion only cleans the outside. See, human religion is a powerful tool. It builds a a beautiful mask for us to hide our hearts behind. And we've said, haven't we, it really works. It's genuinely powerful for now. And for us, as in it works on other people, works a lot of the time. Sometimes it even works on yourself. 
but it only works for as long as no one can see your hearts. Now, doesn't that make human religious tradition an extraordinarily dangerous thing? It works in all the ways that make my life easier temporarily and my life easier with other human beings, but it doesn't work at all on God's, which is to say it doesn't really work at all. It's a really powerful cleaning product that only works on the outside of the cup. What would you call that? Deceptive, shallow, misleading, weak? untrustworthy. And the tradition, it doesn't actually even need to be tied to a belief in God. I think there are secular versions, even atheist versions, traditions that make us look clean on the outside but don't touch the hearts. I think all of us at times do that. All of our great corporations, they spin and signal their external virtue. And we even call it washing, don't we? The, the oil company that has greenwashed their appalling records by bringing in some huge recycling bins right in the lobby. But human traditions, they will always serve the people who wrote them. Just to say in the end, they'll serve human beings. They'll serve me. They'll always be negotiable. There'll always be loopholes I can use when actually the command of God is living and active and goes deep into my heart. There's nowhere to hide when he says, but have you honored your mother and your father? So for tonight, um, I simply need to ask us, please, to, to put down the masks and also to stop being impressed by other people's masks, which I think could be really, really good news. Uh, maybe you, like the disciples, have faced the judgment of the hypocrites, like verse 5, people who pretend that they're clean because of their external appearance. Stop being impressed with them. Or maybe you are carrying a really heavy mask and it is dark and it is silent inside. Put the mask down. And there's a lot less to worry about without it. So it's far fewer exhausting lies to keep telling. You don't need to keep covering up the failure and you can be set free from looking down on other people. And next week, I hope you can come back next week, because next week we're going to look at the hearts, and we're going to ask, how clean are we inside? But then you've got to come back the week after that, because the week after that, we're going to see that Jesus can and will clean from the inside out, which is why Jesus is so amazing, and it's also why they really don't like Jesus, because he is a cleaning product that, that works on the inside. Wonderful. Can actually make you honor your parents. Make you clean and acceptable to God. But actually they've been very happy with their field and their lambs and with everyone saying how devoted to God they are. So that's also why they don't like Jesus.